What's up everyone, welcome to episode 33 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by noise.co.uk. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr Cynical himself, Mr Samuel Lewis, how are you? I'm fantastic, mate, how about you? I'm good, man. Unusual times treating me relatively well on a personal level at the moment. Um, I've been, I basically haven't left the house for like 10 days now. Wow. Which is, it's weird in one sense, because like, I used to be at work or going to the gym, seeing you and Leon on Saturday nights. Obviously, all that's out the window. I've managed to keep in touch Mm -hmm. with you. And obviously, now I work in a school, so I'm at Easter break until like the 20th of April. So, and obviously, I'm not going out of the house unnecessarily. Literally, Matt, I am in my house. Luckily, I'm exercising in the house, so I'm not like losing or putting weight on, like, I wouldn't be losing from the gym. I'm a massive gamer, so I'm keeping sane with that. And me and my mum have been watching, like, a film every day for the past, like, ten days. Like, that either one of us or neither of us has seen. So she's been showing me, like, The Godfathers, because somehow I hadn't seen them. Uh, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that you got this far in your life without having seen them. I'm glad that you're on the other side of that now. Today, we watched... um, a film called Uncut Gems, which has got Adam Sandler in on Netflix. Yeah, I saw that on Netflix advertised, yeah. Um, Kevin Garnett's in it as well. Yeah, so, like, is he an actual uh, NBA star? Oh, yeah, he's one of the, the greatest power forwards of all time. Because he was without, in it. Doubt. Obviously, he, he, seeing him in it, and obviously they sold him as, as, like, this pro basketball player. But, like, I wasn't sure whether he actually was or there was just an actor in because obviously I don't follow the NBA particularly mm. at all. Uh, the Weeknd is in it as well. <laughs> Which is, oh, right, okay. yeah, he's in it for like two minutes. I don't think I've ever heard a film where people shout as often as they're doing <laughs> Uncut Gems. Honestly, Sam, the film is two hours and 15 minutes and the pitch level is at, shou- <laughs> the pitch level is at shouting for about one hour and 45 of them. Is it enjoyable shouting? It fits in with the erraticness of the story. The reason why okay. everyone's always shouting over the top of each other and everything's very confrontational. Obviously, I'm not going to give anything away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That does fit in, but towards the end, it does get a bit tiresome, and it's just like, bro, please just have a... He's standing next to you, just have a conversation with him. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Adam Sandler's starting to go off the rails a little bit, I think. So, from Critically... They've said it's one of his like best performances, and it is unusual to see him play such a mega serious role. My favorite mm. Adam Sandler film is Click, and oh, he, I like Click as well. And his role is relatively serious in that, but you still get the ins and outs of the classic Adam Sandler comedy, the silly mm. set pieces and the silly words and that kind of thing. Yeah, but in this, he's much more serious, and he does play the role well. I think you'd find it quite tiresome, though. The level, okay. of, the level of constant abrasive conversation and shouting. I think it would really grind your gears. So I do, rec- <laughs> I do recommend anyone listening watches it, though, because the story is good, and it's quite an unpredictable ending. That I, 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 If you'd have said, name 20 ways you think this film might end, it, it wouldn't have been in there. I okay, interesting. Oh, I've seen some of the castings. We've got a lot of people that I'm... Sort of aware of it. Seems like Adam Sandler's just like sort of emptied out his phone book in the in the in the movie a little bit yeah. with the cast list. So um, I'm I'm interested to have a look. Yeah. So I'll check it out, man. Quick word on Godfather. Oh yes. Which I really enjoyed both, but 
and which I'm for hoping... those who haven't watched it is a very famous film <laughs> about the mafia. And I hope I'm not spoiling anything thrown here, but I'm assuming if you haven't seen The Godfather by 2020, you're not going to be too annoyed finding out spoilers from it. But, mm. dude, Corleone's can take a, a massive amount of bullets, can't they? <laughs> yeah, um, pretty pretty resistant to the um, to the lead casing, as Mate, it turns out. In the, fir- in the first one, where Marlon Brando gets, like, shot the fuck up, yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, shit, he's dead. And my mum was like, no, he's in intensive care. I was like, he's in intensive care. He was shot in the back five times. The fucking... <laughs> Is this the Godfather or the Terminator? <laughs> to be fair, they never get him, like, in the head or anything. And yeah. Yeah, it's but... shoulders, it's legs. He's all right. Uh, I was like, uh, so that it's... did remove me a little bit. And then... It does then... fuck him up, like, he's not the same afterwards. Well, I just, I just thought... Okay, like, five shots in the back. I mean, come on. What, what are we doing here? And then, he, he, then uh, later on in the film, where um, the son's name, who's Sonny? Sonny. Yeah. Um, man, he gets, like, scar-faced up. He does. There's oh, like, yeah. There's, like, yeah, 60 fucked. bullet holes in him, and he's able to get out the car. And I was like, what? Is, are they putting fucking rubber in these bullets or something? <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, because you you told me before how much you love The Godfather. Like, yeah, it's a terrific film. Man, it it, it, it is it is very very good. Um, we're watching the third one, I think, like tomorrow. Prepare for disappointment. Oh, is it your least favorite? It's it's everyone's least favorite, Chris. Right, okay. Is it like and your favorite's the first? Is it? Uh, yeah. Only just though the second one is terrific because of Michael Corleone's performance. Well, Al Pacino in the second one. Yeah. No He's one can good. shout like Al Pacino. Like, I was just speaking about shouting on Uncut Gems. Al Pacino's got the scariest loud voice in the world. But it, 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 isn't it crazy about the person that he looks like later and the person that he looks like in 1973? Like, they look like completely different people. Yeah. Like, Al, Al Pacino in, like, Scarface and Al Pacino, like, ten years later in, like, um... The, the one about inches every given any given Sunday, yeah. and all the ones he's in latest at the moment. He looks nothing like that. Like he looks so baby faced. Such a handsome man in the early seventies, Al Pacino. Like it's like then afterwards, like something most horrible must have happened to his face from like nineteen seventy eight onwards. But it's just so it took me like an hour. I like I knew it was Al Pacino, but then it dawned on me. It's like holy shit, that's Al Pacino. Isn't it really weird seeing him and Robert De Niro look so young? Because obviously we were born in the mid nineties. I've yeah. only ever seen Robert De Niro and Al Pacino look like the rugged, scary older man. I've never seen them look like the young upstarts. It's really weird yeah. to look at. It is really, really weird. I think I think the film is just it's beautifully directed. You know, in the in the, in the second one where he's he's taking the church and he's being baptized and everyone's getting killed at the same time. Yeah, I love that scene. It is and great. they're doing the, the Father, the Trinity, the Holy Ghost, and every other rival's being shot off while he's while he's taking the prayers and stuff. I think that's genius. So it's goosebumps um, watching those sort of scenes and the whole when he's holding his brother Fido. I knew it was you all along and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's it's Titanic. Is it, it's cinematography. Um, I need to read the books to be honest. My, my favorite parts of the second one was actually the flashbacks to yeah uh, to, v- to, v- to Vito Corleone uh, in uh, well, like when he starts off in Sicily and when he first gets to New York, I found that backstory. It was told really, really well. And when yeah, he, he just integrates right back in as well. It's nice when he when he chases that guy 
through New York. Facini was his name or something like that. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And kills him. I, I just thought there were parts of it that were done so brilliantly. And considering like it's a film that was made in like late seventies, early eighties, some of the directing is really ahead of its time, man. Really, really great film. I'm looking forward to the third one. I know you said that like it's everyone's least favorite, but just to see that everything gets how everything ties together in the end, um, I'm going to be fascinated by man. Oh, it's terrific. Uh, it really, really is terrific. Uh, the, the discipline as well. Um, the Italian. Like, it's just perfect, isn't it? Yeah. Like, the level of discipline they've done, they've, they've done to do all those sort of scenes. And that could have been sort of grandfathered in. That could have done that in a different way. They didn't have to actually do that. And they've, they've really stuck to the um, the sort of the realisticness of it, I guess. The realism, going back to Sicily and, and, and all that sort of stuff. It, it is It is terrific. Almost 10 minutes in and we haven't even spoken about music once. We better get this show going. <laughs> Absolutely. This is a rock and metal podcast brought to you by Noise.co.uk. We release it every fortnight. Usually on a Tuesday. However, this one will be coming to you on a Friday because we are reviewing the Malevolence EP, The Other Side, and that is embargoed until the 10th of April. So where we would usually release an episode on a Tuesday, this one we have to release on a Friday. We're not here to uh, rub anyone up the wrong way. Me and Sam are much too nice people for that. Hint, hint. <laughs> uh, we're available on YouTube, Spotify, <laughs> and Apple Music. If you could subscribe on YouTube or like the video and leave us a rating on Apple Music, that would be absolutely wicked. Uh, on the last episode of the Noise Podcast, we did reviews on August Burns Red and Code Orange, and that was a wonderful time, wasn't it, Sam? I- I'm still listening to that Code Orange album, like, once every couple of days. I'm still yeah, so, it- so massively in. In, in Fear is a heavy rotational tune for me at this moment in time. And I'm finding new things about the record the more I listen to it, man. And you always find that with albums that kind of break the mould. You listen to it so many times, and even on the 50th listen, you still find just a, a something, a, a monicum of something that you didn't notice before. And oh, that's really cool. That's really what great way of instrumentation and that, all that kind of stuff. God, um, I feel like I could review the album again. Uh, we also <laughs> did, we also had the chat on Appetite for Destruction, the 19th greatest metal album of all time, which was, again, that was wicked for me, man, to go in to this album. that Obviously, I was aware of its existence, but I never listened to it in full. And just how much I enjoyed that album, man. So good. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I could do, I could think I could talk about that album every single week. And um, what's going to be interesting is this list sort of reaches a close and we start to talk about albums that we're both really into or at least have massive experiences of. Is I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on the, the list itself. Yeah. You know, like when it, when it comes to the numeration, like thus far, I don't think I've, I don't think I've done like, and now massive emissions. Like I don't think I've missed anything massively, but it'd be interesting when we get to sort of like the top 15, the top 12, the top 10 where we start having that discussion like, well, I actually think this is what, the fourth best album ever or whatever. Yeah. So that I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on, on that. This week on the Noise Podcast, we've got Sam's 18th greatest metal album of all time. We've got reviews on the Black Dahlia Murders new record, Verminous, and as I mentioned, Malevolence is the other side EP, as well as... On this episode, I did my Chris meet with a guy called Dean Harris, who is a photographer, uh, also known known as We The D, but he also works with uh, Noise website. Me and Sam have known Dean for two years, Sam. Yeah, sounds about right. A really cool guy. We got on with him literally instantaneously. I've always thought he was a really interesting person. And his story about how he got into photography, what photography looks like in 2020... 
how things are changing the industry from his uh, viewpoint. You can hear all that at the end of the episode, so make sure you stick around for that. And on Noise Card UK at the moment, we've got album reviews on Astral Bodies, Worm, and Igor, new records as well, so make sure you go there for all your news, interviews, and latest features. Very, There's no point in going for any news because of the current situation. Coronavirus is fucking everything up. Bands are delaying records. No one's going out on tour. There's very little worth mentioning. So, Sam, we're going to get straight into the nitty-gritty, man. Uh, the 18th greatest metal album of all time. Is Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park. When you told me that it was going to be Hybrid Theory as number 18, I was so happy. I don't think me and you have ever, like, fully, fully discussed this album. In the mm. sense of, we've made passing, passing mentions to it in reviews. But I don't think we've ever had the ability to go, let's dedicate 25 minutes plus to this absolutely phenomenal, literal, game-changing album. Since it's absolutely. obviously your list, I'm going to give you the lead here. But um, just for instance as to how much I've got to say about this album or how much emotion this album elicits from me, on my notes, I haven't written a single thing about this segment. I'm just going to go like from instinct and what I remember this album doing for me. So the floor is yours first, mate. Thank you very much. Um, well, for a start, it's it's a generation defining album. Um, it's the it's it's the album of the early 2000s and um, propelled Linkin Park pretty much instantly into one of the biggest bands of the next 10 to 15 years. Um, just a just going to read off just going to read off the wikipedia page just for this this segment just to start just to give you sort of um because even looking back the numbers are just mind-boggling okay uh peaking at number two on the u.s billboard 200 it's a debut album by the way certified 11 times platinum top 10 in 15 other countries and sold 30 million copies worldwide it's the best-selling debut album since guns and roses appetite for destruction not debut metal album Daddy album, album yeah. period, yeah. since Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction, and is the best-selling rock album of the 21st century. Crazy, man. So, Metallica haven't sold more copies of this in, since uh, than this in the 20th, uh, 21st century. Um, it's just an astonishing piece of music, an astonishing work. Perfectly timed, really, because if you look back over that period of time from the late 90s, early 2000s, metal as a mainstream or as a success story was going through a bit of a lull. Um, we had, we had new metal, but it wasn't anywhere near as popular as it became the next couple of years. Um, we had like a weird in between period where some of the biggest me- uh, metal bands of the day were all underground machine head, Sepultura, Korn, um, Meta- uh, or the big four had pretty much vanished because of grunge. So Metallica were doing like S&M stuff and releasing like Reload and things like that. Megadeth were releasing underground thrash albums. So were Slayer, Anthrax, Testament, etc. It all pretty much died off and gone away. A lot of the bands from the 80s had either split up or gone on hiatuses. Um, even during this period of time, people forget that um, Iron Maiden kicked out Bruce Dickinson. In, in, in 1993 and didn't bring him back until a couple of years later so the night um there was no guns and roses um loads of the big bands 70s and 80s and 90s big bands had gone away um pantera were going through a bit of a lull in the late 90s and it was a couple of years it was during the period of time when they're all arguing with each other it was a few before um don bag daryl had died and kirk cobain died in 1994 so there was no nirvana um grunge had pretty much died out um, so we, so this album <laughs> arrived at the perfect time for Linkin Park when metal fans or 
um, frustrated teenagers everywhere had very little to cling on unless they unless they really got into the heavier side of metal. And for so many fans during that period of time, myself included, um, this album was a gateway to the heavier side of metal. Um, I went from ACDC to here in Linkin Park, and then from there, it just massively opened myself up to pretty much everything else, you know, like corn and soil and um, Disturbed and Slipknot and all those bands that were really popular at the time. Now, not to discredit what Slipknot were doing, obviously their, their album came out in 99, the year before, but that was a metal album for metal fans that then fought its way into the mainstream. Linkin Park began as the most popular album in mainstream rock music and pretty much has stayed there ever since. Um, the songs on, on some of these albums, it, it wasn't just... It wasn't just the heaviness, which it is. It's incredibly heavy, incredibly dark in subject matter, and deals with a lot of problems that the average teenager would really um, sort of relate to. So, like, um, feelings of isolation, feelings about parental divorce, feelings of breakups and, and drug abuse and all this sort of stuff. Things that teenagers are going to either relate to or really be into, because it reflects the frustrations of their own lives. But it came with... Um, the wealth of chorus and melody and some of the songs here are absolutely huge one step closer crawling paper cut in the end runaway points of authority are all on this album my favorite song with you is on this album even even some of the deeper cuts are absolutely fantastic but essentially those four singles one step closer crawling paper cutting in the end are four of the 10 biggest songs of the decade and they were all encapsulated on this album and like I said, it propelled Linkin Park into greatness. And it has since become one of the most influential um, albums of all time in the sense that people of my generation and our generation, Chris, have grown up listening to this band when they were... I mean, this came out when me and you were seven or eight years old. So by the time we were sort of 12, 13, 14, it was something that was re still relatively recent for us to go back to and find out about. And then to be able to use that as a gateway into others, um, there's arguably been no bigger album for 21st century millennial rock music fans than this album in the same way that the black album came out in the early 90s and opened up up to i mean if you're if you're a metal fan in 1989 you hear metallica's black album then you go back you start listening to pantera then you're in uh, linkin park i think had the same effect on so many others and the fact is the reason for its greatness here is that it punctuated in so many areas that most metal albums don't. It is a multi-million selling album. This is like a, this is equivalent to like a Whitney Houston album. These sort of album sales, thirty million, is absolutely astonishing. And if you just listen to the listen to the songs, it's easy to understand why. It's a combination of punchy metal um, with Chester Bennington's completely unenviably brilliant unrepeatable never never are you again going to have a vocalist that sounds like this voice right playing these songs because the the, the guitar is so deep and down tuned and then chester comes over the top and his voice is so high-pitched and piercing and so melodious and so beautiful that turned heavy songs into great pop songs and great pop songs that were also really heavy tunes it's just the perfect blend of great pop music, great melody, and incredibly heavy um, music backdrop with themes of darkness and isolation and self-deprivation and um, suicide and self-abuse, but it's sung in a way that would chart it. It's an astonishing piece of work. And 
understandably, it's 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 unable to be repeated. I mean, Linkin Park did a pretty good job three years later with Meteora, but this is the this is the greatest new metal album of all time in terms of its absolute success and the way that it's cemented Linkin Park um, as one of the greatest bands of our generation and any other generation since, and the fact that um, in 2010 they were able to come back and go to download and play this album in full. Um, gives you an impression of the the longevity um, of its of, of of its effects. Really, it's just a superb album, and it is without a doubt at least one of the twenty greatest metal albums of all time. I don't think there's a way that we could sum up the importance of this album and Slipknot's debut both coming out within nigh on a year of each other of what that did yeah, for metal. Absolutely, it was. It was like this cast iron, 100% unarguable, inescapable fact that these two bands were going to be the two that would absolutely be at the forefront of what's carrying metal into the 21st century and beyond. But it was just, it was was undoubtable. And Linkin Park's trajectory changed to Slipknot's quite substantially over time but during during this period when like the the 21st century had just turned around man the i, I remember actually reading from david Draymond, who's the disturbed vocalist that like linkin park were originally getting booed at Oz, ozfest and then the second that they got like halfway into the set the crowd always turned around because there was that period where people were classic metal fans were looking at new metal and bands like Linkin Park as like opposers or fakers because there was that there's that bullshit ideology that runs mm. through that runs through classic metal and Linkin Park always managed to turn them around because they're such a great band and this was such a phenomenal phenomenal album do you, do you remember like the first time that you came in touch with this album I do um I remember, I remember hearing little bits of it um, when I was in when I was in primary school, but like not nowhere near enough to actually like sit down and listen to it through. Um, I remember, I remember one of the first times I got into Linkin Park was I was watching Live Eight in two thousand and five, and they they flicked to the American show in Philadelphia, and Linkin Park were performing there. And they did they did two songs. They did in the end, and then they brought Jay Z out for Numb, and in the end was just astonishingly good and those two songs were like instantly grabbed me the the, the chorus chester's voice um the themes the ideas sort of like failing to live up to expectations at home and all that sort of stuff really sort of gravitated to that and and um at that point i went out and bought the live in texas album and then i and then i went backwards just then i bought hybrid theory in fall and then i bought um i bought meteora as well and i just linkin park were my favorite metal band for about two years um just those three albums i just repeated them endlessly and endlessly i remember le- i remember learning i remember learning how to play the drums right at the start and trying to play faint on my drum kit at home and just sort of trying to get better and better and better and better and better and those i watched that live album just every day i just put it on just while i was doing something else just in the background um it, it wasn't just the pair of the choruses it was it it is to these songs the the electronic features with all of the metal bands apart, all the new metal bands apart from Linkin Park sound like bolt on. Like, we know this is popular at the moment, so we just stick it in there. 
um, like when Disturbed did like dropping plates with like a fucking um, random like DJ deck solo where they just brought in a guy to do that, or like when um, Link Link Biscuit covered Faith and they've got that bit where they do the DJ scratches instead of the breakdown. Whereas Linkin Park actually have a DJ and part of the band, like he, he's an actual member of the band, and he and him and Mike Shinoda, who does not get enough credit as a fucking musical genius, and I know that yeah. Jack Holloway, when he listens to this, will be shouting from his rooftops about this because he's like the biggest Mike Shinoda fan uh, I've ever met. Um, but his arrangement, his lyrics, his ability to me- to mesh the heaviness of the guitar to the electronics actually doesn't sound like a Bolton at all. It's such an integrated, threaded um, musical performance here where the the, the electronics complement. Like, listen to, like, Papercut with that little bit of drums over the top at the start with a guitar riff, and then it integrates into the full band, and the DJ deck just goes over with that little bit as it just sort of rises over the top of the riff, and then the same with Crawling and how it just integrates together. It is a work of art. This album, there's, there's an intricacy as well as the uh, as the well as the heaviness and, and obviously Chester as well. Um, to the fact where looking back, even even listening to some of the rap sections, which when you go back and listen to some of the rap sections of early new metal, and you listen to like early Papa Roach and some Limp Bizkit tracks, it's it's a bit difficult at times. Um, or like Mudvayne, where where it sounds a little bit forced. Whereas this, it's incredibly, incredibly natural and works really well. The way that Mike and, and Chester sort of feed off with each other on songs like Pushing Me Away, where they're sort of vocally sort of matching each other and, and with you and and, and um, A Place in My Head, which is... Um, My favourite song on the album. Which is absolutely brilliant song. And it is... It's not heavy, heavy. No. Not really, really bloodthirsty, blood-curdlingly heavy. But it's heavy enough. And Chester Bennington's voice, his range here, is just extraordinary. It is both a great metal album, a great rock album, a great new metal album and a great pop album simultaneously. And as a result, it just propelled the band and it has, it has lasted. I don't look back at this and think, what the fuck were we thinking? Why did everyone buy this album? Um, this is like, oh, yeah, I, you, you completely understand. I get why this was so incredibly popular. So, yeah, I... The moment I heard these songs, the moment I heard this album, and the, and even now going back and listening to it, it's just it's an extraordinary feat. I remember first getting in touch with this album, and this shows just how successful it was and how brilliant the album is. Those who know me will know that, like my family, generally are not into alternative music. Really, my dad was big on metal when he was younger, but he moved away. And he came massive on like U2 and the Pet Shop Boys and stuff. But when this album came out and tracks like Crawling and In the End were on the music channels, you might, I don't know, know, you used to do this. Me and my family used to like sit in the living room flicking through the music channels, hoping Mm. that, and sometimes they'd like request songs that they wanted to play. Do Do you remember The Box? I do, yeah. Like you could, you'd go on the box, and they'd have like a list on the right hand side of like music videos that you can request at the moment, and like we'd sit there waiting for them to play in the end. And that's my family, <laughs> my mom, my sisters, my brother. They're not into metal at all, but in the end, that massive chorus I tried so hard yeah. got so far. In the end, doesn't even matter. The way Chester Bennington just bellows over the top of it, we all loved it, and. But within 
a few days of us consistently requesting watching the box and like Kerrang hoping they'd play the new Linkin Park tune. My brother went out and bought the album and it was just like this like this full on movement. Even as me as a kid I kind of felt and then within like what a few years you had Jay Z doing an album with Linkin Park. I mean imagine that to, imagine what that would do for rock slash alternative music today if like Drake did an album with a band. I mean, it just wouldn't happen because no. we haven't got that band that are as crossover as no, Linkin no, as, as Linkin Park were. No, I completely agree. Imagine Drake did an album with like Architects. No, what, just, that would, what that would do for alternative music? Oh, mate, it would be. Isn't it? it would just be absolutely transcendent. Like, transcendent, but we haven't got that band that, like I mentioned, can go into as many areas. And feel at home as what Linkin Park did. Like I, I, I genuinely believe you could play this to like an ardent hip hop fan, and they'd they'd get a, a vibe out of it because of mm. like the disc scratches and the way that everything's put together. Like, and obviously Mike Shinoda's brilliant lyricism and rapping is really, really done to perfection. And. There's, there's like an idea, and I've seen this written a few times actually, that like hybrid theory like defined new metal, which I actually disagree with personally. Because I, 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 I agree. Think, I, I think if you look back at new metal, you'd point to Korn's debut or maybe like Significant Other by Limp Bizkit. A hot dog flavored water. Or a, yeah, or, or a hot dog flavored water, chocolate starfish. Before you'd get to to hybrid theory, if anything. I think there's actually more of an argument that hybrid theory killed new metal in the yeah. sense in the sense of and I don't mean that as a criticism of hybrid theory. I mean that in, I mean that in the sense of like hybrid theory came out and did these absurd, absurd numbers and all of a sudden every record label <laughs> in the world was saying to bands, Are you gonna make it sound like hybrid theory? Because Yeah, we need it, we need the Lexington Park. Because it had just taken this absolutely like transcendent view of, of what new metal was and then th the problem with that is that you had bands that would like come off the back of hybrid theory and trying to like recreate it and obviously there would there would be like a million million miles away like you would find a band like i don't know like breaking benjamin is a, is a band that comes to mind, which actually, yeah. you know, they, they did solid record sales and that kind of thing. But when they first came around, it felt like a band that are just like off the back of this massive, massive movement. Yeah, Three Doors and Down were another one. Three Doors Down were another one. And bands like Breaking Benjamin and Three Doors Down, they're not so much of a problem because they actually were very successful. But the the watering down once you start going further and further down the pecking order it just becomes this list of bands that just couldn't get anywhere near what hybrid theory or what linkin park had become and thus just completely watered new metal down into this genre that kind of et itself alive yeah i and, think that's a fair point and by like the mid 2000s limp biscuit were were doing <laughs> records that were like I suppose a new metal in the sense that Linkin Biscuit were a new metal band at some point. Like, do you remember results may vary? I do. Which I actually like that album. It gets a fair bit of stick 
But I actually like Results May Vary. And there's like a track called Eat You Alive on it, which is fucking sick, by the way. Yeah, I, yeah, I, it I, is. Think, I think you could put that song into any Limp Bizkit album and it would more than do its, uh, do justice there. But then there's like songs like Build a Bridge on Results May Vary, which I just don't think Limp, Limp Bizkit would have done <laughs> if new metal was still thriving the way it was in the late 90s. However, my point to all this being, I don't think that hybrid theory like define new metal. I think, if anything, it did damage to it in the sense that everyone wanted the, to find the next Linkin Park and there wasn't one. Because I, I, I genuinely don't think there's another duo that could have created this album better than Mike Shinoda and Chester Bennington. Chester Bennington's got, had, sadly had, just the most tr- ver- variety ridden voice. He could do everything. Yeah, absolutely. He's an, a place for my head is my favourite song on the record, which I mentioned earlier. Chester on that song, on the chorus, it's it's so effortless. That chorus is so effortless, mm. but it's so beautifully performed that I just every time I listen to it, I can't help but just like when I listen to like. A place for my head. I can't be doing anything else. A lot of music that I listen to, I'm doing something else in the background, apart from when it truly grabs me. And for this, I can't do anything else when I'm listening to A Place for My Head. Like, I'm just listening to that song. I'm not flicking through social media. I'm not playing games. I'm just listening to it, taking it all in. So brilliant. And the band eventually became exhausted towards the end of their career with the amount of but you're going to play Hybrid Theory. I wish you'd do a album like Hybrid Theory. We should do an album like Hybrid Theory. That I remember Chester Bennington saying in several interviews that he wished he wish people would just move on. But I guess that's the poison chalice that Hybrid Theory became. It was this all-encompassing album that people just could not move on from. The opening three songs on this album, Papercut, One Step Closer, With You. Fuck, right. man. <laughs> Shit. <clears throat> That's unbelievable. That's, that's rocking two thousand, man. That that is like yeah. and for the next decade. That's rock for the next ten years. Just looking back at this album and its brilliance yeah. and what it did for the band, and I think Jack was was at download when Linkin Park did Hybrid Theory in full. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah. It, it, that must be like one of Jack's like crowning musical moments, man. That he was there to experience that, and what. Dude, I can't believe that I wasn't there and we weren't there to experience that because how sick would that have been? And obviously, looking back on Linkin Park now, it is nothing but sad because of how things ended for Chester. Mm. But, holy shit, man, at least we got this album that would take alternative music to areas that it hasn't been taken since. And honestly, I don't think we'll be taken to again. I don't think there's an album, not just in rock, new metal, alternative music. I mean, in music in general. I don't think there's an album that's going to sell 30 million records ever again. Because, no, of, the way the, because I, of the way the music industry is now. No, I, I, think, that's, I think that's fair to say. And I, just to, to take a point on what you were mentioning earlier about people trying to recreate Linkin Park and, and all that sort of stuff. People have been trying to do their own version of Hybrid Theory for 20 years. Bring Me the Horizon have spent the last three albums trying to do what Hybrid Theory did within yeah. six months. That's a great um, par- point. Put Parkway Drive have tried to do it. Every band that are trying to find that perfect blend of chorus, 
and heaviness to find that perfect blend of catchy and relatable and yet still maintains its integrity. Hybrid theory is the blueprint and it is it has been attempted to be followed by numerous bands. Every band every three years that tries to do the lighter thing, tries to write the choruses, tries to go for power, tries to go for the sing along stadium filling um metal songs uh are trying to do what Linkin Park did with four songs in 2000 that they wrote in a basement. And it is the, when you put that into perspective, you talk about how legendary this album is, is that, like you said, 30 million albums will never happen again. Um, but I don't I don't think the blend of melody and metal will ever be more perfect than it was with hybrid theory. I, I just don't. I don't think I don't think a metal band as well. All right. Let's I remember reading this thing about um, we're using an analogy here about a basketball player called Hakeem Olajuwon. Right. He was a center for the Houston Rockets and he was incredible. We're talking like a top 10 all time NBA player. Right. Um, his story was he was born in Ghana and he was a, a pro level footballer until the age of 14. And then he grew five extra inches. And then someone said, hey, maybe you should try basketball. And from the age of 16 to 19, he learned the game of basketball. By the time he was 19, he was like went to America and he's one of the best college uh, athletes and then got drafted for the Houston Rockets. Number one overall. Right. That would never happen again. Do you know what I mean? Like, imagine that, like, what are the chances that ever happens again? A person that's born with, like, football-level footwork in Africa that learns the game at 15, all this sort of stuff. It's just impossible, right? When is this album, these collection of individuals, where you have a rapper, a voice that sounds like Chester, a DJ, and then an actual metal band, all grouped together, all on the same vibe, all writing songs, and then it blends together and then they release an album that then has this success that also comes in the period where metal was crying out for a headliner. When is that ever going to happen again? The perfect combination of members and talent and time. It just doesn't happen. We're talking like getting hit by lightning twice. It is just extraordinary. The level of this is lightning in a bottle, so to speak. This is just never going to happen. And... That's what needs to be cherished about this is that people have been trying to repeat this for 20 years. They themselves haven't been able to do it. It's just it is just a a moment in time and one of the all time generation defining generation shifting records and obviously well deserves a top 20 place in this list. I tried to put this higher. I did. I'll be honest. Um, I couldn't really um, for a variety of reasons that we'll get to to get to later. But as an as an album, um, this kept metal alive for a decade, um, at least until 2006, seven, when the new wave of American heavy metal started kicking off with um, Lamb of God, Avenged Sevenfold, Killswitch Engage. Linkin Park pretty much kept metal alive and breathing for five or six years. This just doesn't happen again. And bands, and I'll use the Bring Me example, and I have a lot of love for Bring Me, but Ammo is as close as you're going to get to an attempt of what hybrid theory did in terms of the electronica and the vocalists and the the combination of sort of the dirty guitar and the high-pitched vocals and ollie um, from bring me the rise is one of the most talented frontmen we have ever got in we have ever had in metal over the last 15 years but he's not chester bennington no nah. i mean ollie actually references linkin park quite often as his number one influence and once you it's get easy to, Sem- to see isn't it once you get to semper Eternal. You get it? 
Yeah, oh, 100%. 100%. So, when we've got Bring Me The Rise of the Arguably Britain's biggest metal band right now, biggest alternative band right now, and their chief influence, their lead vocalist, lead songwriter's chief influence is Linkin Park, that tells you about the level of impact that this album has had 20 years later. And the saddest thing is, is I was there at the last show before Chester killed himself, and they were scintillating. He was in he was in great shape. He sounded wonderful. The band were magnificent. They did a ver- the version the slow version of crawling, where they do it with like the crowd, and it was just magical. They did Papercut, the place went nuts. And those songs would have still filled stadiums for the next yeah. twenty years. Yeah. And the fact that when you saw those videos of Mark Chanel, did you see that famous one from was he think it was Reading and Leeds? Yeah. Where, he's, where he gets everyone to sing along Chester's parts and he yeah, just plays man. the piano and does the rap. So brilliant. Name name a situation where that would happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean if if it's hard, it's, I mean, if, if Winston McCord dies tomorrow, God for fucking bid, by the way, Parkway Drive aren't playing Karma instrumentally. Nah. To, the, like a week later, in front of 80,000 people who are all singing along. It just doesn't happen. That was a bridging moment between metal and the rest of the world. And I, I could argue that bridge has, has probably probably disappeared now, sadly. Um, but for a few golden years in the early 2000s, it really existed because of Linkin Park. You hear EDM DJs using Linkin Park uh, segments. Yeah. You hear yeah, EDM DJs using Numb and Crawling mm-hmm. before before the beats drop. And and again, those moments you're talking about when you watch these uh, like Tomorrowland, these massive EDM festivals, the crowd know all the words, even yeah. though they're EDM fans, and which is nothing to do with new metal or alternative metal however you want to define hybrid theory but it was so transcendent it reached so many areas that people just know what it is people know all the lyrics people know in the end they're no one step closer man what can you say about this album like we've tried like we've been going for like 25 minutes here just talking about this album we haven't actually done it justice I don't think we've tried but this album, it's just so transcendent of everything of alternative music, what it did for yeah. rock and metal. It it's really hard to encapsulate where it, yeah, it, yeah. it It's hard to encapsulate. It was everywhere for three years. It's it, it's so tragic that it's been taken away from us. You know, because holy shit, man, Linkin Park would have been filling arenas for another 20 years. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, it's so Chester Benton is just so awful and tragic that he yeah. was taken because, how, man, what this album could can still continue to do. And I, I was on the record as criticising Linkin Park when we got to the later albums. And yeah. I, 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 and I still stand by that now. I, I one more light their last album. I, I still don't think that's a good album. Even when you look back at the circumstances that follow, which I hate and are awful, that still doesn't make me think that that's a great album. I don't think The Hunting Party, which they released in 2014, I think, I don't think that's a great album. But it all becomes like irrelevant when, when you break it down to what Linkin, Park, what Linkin Park had become. They'd become this transcendent band where it didn't even matter anymore whether the albums they released... Hey. Whether, whether the albums they released were good. It didn't make a difference. They'd, re, they, they'd gone past that. They were like Metallica levels. It didn't make a difference if Metallica released another album. It didn't make a difference whether it's good or not. They will still sell 
25,000 tickets at least in any given city. And I think Linkin Park are legitimately in that same category. Whether Linkin Park would have been able to do stadium shows on their own, I'm not sure. Time would have been able, time would have had to tell on that one. But in terms of Linkin Park turn it to a city and 20,000 tickets get sold, I believe that's the case. Well, yeah, absolutely, and it was. When we're talking about the the goalposts, the benchmarks of metal over the last 40, 50 years, you think Paranoid, Enter Sandman, um, Smells Like Teen Spirit, and for this generation, the last one, it was it was in the end. Yeah. And those are the songs of a decade, and, and, and that, if anything, uh, should at least do our bit to, to try and point to you how, Matt, to the listeners how absolutely humongous and deserving this this album is on this list. Just just as a few final points on this. This is one of those records where, like, I don't think anyone listening to us is listening to this to be convinced they should listen to Hybrid Theory. I am no. 100% convinced that every single person listening to this podcast right now, and thank you, by the way, but I'm convinced every single one of them has heard this album. I'm, con- <laughs> I'm convinced at least 80% really really like the album i'm hoping that if you get into the point where you're listening to underground alternative and metal podcasts that you have already heard linkin park <laughs> yeah i would <laughs> assume so. if you're this far down the line <laughs> of metal <laughs> where you listen to two guys from wolverhampton talk about black dahlia murder then i'm hoping you've heard in the end <laughs> <laughs> but my point is is that that's what the album is like i'd be willing to bet everyone listening has heard the album and I'd be willing to bet that 80% of the people that have heard the album think it's fucking tremendous. Yeah, and there's not yeah. many albums ever that you can say that about. And Completely agreed. We haven't done this album justice. What this album did for rock and alternative music just cannot be put into a package. Man, um, pff, what a phenomenal, phenomenal timestamp for alternative music. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the greats. Record reviews, Sam? Yes, indeed. Let's do it. We're going to start off with the new Black Dahlia Murder album, Verminous. Uh, It's their ninth record. It's out on the 17th of April via Metal Blade Records. So a big thank you to them and Andy from the company who sent us the album in advance. Sam, have you ever listened to a Black Dahlia Murder record in full before? I have, yeah. I quite like them. So this is my first time I've ever listened to an album in full. Obviously, I was well aware of the legendary... Uh, death metal and extreme metal status and that really when you look back across the annals of extreme metal for the last 20 odd years black dahlia murder would be up there as the band that have had the most consistent quality and the most maybe not the biggest but one of the most like oh yeah hard, hardened yeah. followings um, legendary death metal album uh, le- uh, legendary death metal band no doubt oh absolutely like and i knew of their uh, of their like their classic songs like um, Their Beloved Absentee mm-hmm. um, and Goat of Departure, which was from like a record called Everblack, if I remember correctly. Mm. And they did an album called Nocturnal as well, which I think that came around like, in the late 2000s, which was a, a supposedly like, a, a really big thing for death metal. And I, remember, I, I, I know the title track from that album quite well, but I've never actually sat down and taken in like a Black Dahlia Murder record in one full sitting because it's just one of those bands that I've never really gotten round to, despite knowing of their stature quite well. So this is a really interesting one for me, man. Um, 
I am going to pass it over to you to begin with. Mm. Which, when you when you were pressing play on this, is it one of those things where you got exactly what you were hoping for? This is exactly what I expected. Yeah. Um, I was hoping it was to be a little bit better. Right. Okay. Um, but um, it was exactly what I intend, exactly what I expected it to be. So I was thinking about this while I was listening to it um, yesterday, and I can simultaneously see once again I'm reminded of would I why they're so consistently revered in death metal circles, but also B while they're why they're only revered in death metal circles um, because it's a terrific death metal album, um, but this sticks so ardently to the stereotypical blueprint of death metal that it doesn't sort of delve any other genre. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm expecting it to, to turn into like experimental jazz halfway through, but this is a death metal album right down to the fact that there are actual fucking bats being heard on the, on the final track of this. This is like <laughs> every stereotype of death metal now it's a great death metal album and that's okay isn't it that's yeah, cool because the album's great absolutely if you're if you're if you're a black dahlia murder fan i've said this about loads of bands and this is absolutely true in this case um if you're a black dahlia murder fan you're gonna love this album if you like death metal you love this album the instrumentation is terrific um the guitar work is terrific um the the black the classic black metal vocals are all there this is like 80% of a really good At The Gates album for me. Like, I think At The Gates are a little better. Uh, they just do a little bit more for me. They're a little bit more intense. I prefer the percussion segments. I prefer the riff styles. Um, but the drummer here is absolutely marvellous. We, we're going to speak about him in a, in a bit, I'm sure. Um, but overall, this is a really, really good album. Uh, it's a really, really good death metal album. But that, that's, 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 that's all it is. I mean, um, Verminous, the, opening, the title track is terrific. Um, her very dead. I actually really enjoyed, which I thought it was a sarcastic title, um, a little bit, but um, that it isn't. It's incredibly just really serious. Um, I think I like Child of Night and Removal of the Alken State as well. Um, this is like listening to like Shadow of Intent, Big Brother. Um, sort of like a bit more mature, um, a bit more, a bit less intense, um, but no less, no less technical and complex and impressive as a death metal album this is exactly what i expected it to be it hasn't blown my socks off but it is a very good death metal album once again by one of the the bench uh, the gatekeepers of great death metal quick mention for brandon ellis the lead guitarist he's he, a naughty boy isn't he he does some fucking bits on this album yeah. Some beautiful little intricate solos that get just get like chucked in as a gut punch out of nowhere, which I am all about. And I, I actually think that you mentioned that it stays within the realms of death metal, which yes, it does. But I also think that it manages to amalgamate different areas of extreme metal in as well. Like um, there's, there's a moment on this album and i forgot which song it's on um there's um a track called the leather apron scorn which has got like this absolute what a title by the way <laughs> yeah i love that it's got this massive sick stomp to it and you i'm a sucker for a quick bass line solo like the one that's in Khan Effects' visions of the end before the breakdown comes in and almost the exact same thing happens on this one everything goes 
like quietly you go dun 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 and then bang straight back into the rhythm fucking sick and there's a track called uh, on, on how very dead at the very start did you get like south of heaven vibes from the opening from the opening guitar yeah a little bit actually and mate, I, I was in when I, when I was like, fucking hell, this sounds just like South of Heaven from Slayer. Obviously, different different time change and that kind of thing. I was like, man, this is like off the back of South of Heaven. And then the rhythm pattern changed into your classic death metal song. And I, I think that they do a lot of little moments like that, which just, which just take you out of death metal for a quick moment and then bring you back in. Which just adds a bit of variety, which albums like this really, really need. Uh, my favourite track's Godlessly, the second one. The, the opening drum fill. Mate, it's like, it's got fucking shot out of a cannon. Proper, like, adrenaline injection. And, like, the high pace, it rhythms like classic thrash, yeah. There's, there's, there's a pace section that runs throughout this album, which you can probably, like, run off the back of, like, Slayer and Testament. But then the, the production and Trevor, the vocalist, who has got a ridiculous pitch, by the way, mm. they keep it within the walls of death metal while still just messing around enough to keep me interesting. I think this is really great, man. And, and mate, yes, the drummer. There's a the, one of the last songs on the record, The Wereworms Feast. Fucking mm. hell. His Tom work on that. Absolutely fucking phenomenal. Alan Cassidy, his name is. And the drums were, interestingly, when reading up about the album, the drums were recorded in a different studio to the rest of the album, which did catch me off guard. So, unbelievable job on the mixing. In that, in that case, because they've mixed these drums in absolutely unbelievably well. Yeah, and com- completely agree. Considering this is the first time I've listened to the rec- one of the records in full, I'm now like in the position where, cool man, I want to dive in. I want to dive into Nightbringers, the last album. I want to dive into some of the classic albums and listen to it in full because I- I've found like I really like this. I actually prefer this to Up the Gates' last album. Oh, that's interesting. I think it was called from to drink from the night itself or something along those yeah. lines. I actually, I actually prefer this. This is, I think this is fucking great. And you made a really great, um, you made a really great comment earlier when you were mentioning about how this is like shadow of intense big brother. Mm. Like you can want listening to this album in full, you can one hundred percent see that Black Dahlia Murder have really, really strongly influenced Shadow of Intent. Obviously, Shadow of Intent go into much different areas, and they're they're much more technical and expansive. Yeah. But yeah. you can definitely see the two how the two lines blur together, can't you? Yeah, Venom Prism as well, I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I, I I agree. I think if you like if you like your metal dark and dirty and technical and complex and you like all the things that death metal is so adept at that so many other genres are not. I mean, some of the, the blast beats, the fills, the guitar solos, the riffs. It is, it's great death metal bingo, and you can just listen to this and tick it off as you're going along. I think this is um, a well-written, um, expansive, expansive album with some surprising areas of melody at times. Not like pop chorus melodies, but uh, at times where it shifts away into... Um, some some really interesting notes and some interesting tunes, and I think this is um, I think this is an impressive album by an impressive metal band. It's the only reason that I, I sound slightly underwhelmed. It's not it's not a criticism to the album itself. It's that Black Dolly Murder are a legendary death metal album, uh, a death metal band, and Nocturnal is one of the great black metal albums uh, of the last sort of decade. Um, and I don't think it's as good as that, but I, I think this is 
a terrific album. Like I said at the start, if you're a fan of death metal, there's no way you dislike this. There's no way. There's there's no there's no extreme metal fan that would listen to this and be like, oh, I I I don't enjoy this part or I'm not a fan of. No 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 no. It does everything an extreme metal fan would love, and it's another reason why Black Dahlia Murder are continually um, heralded as one of the most consistent and influential metal bands um, of the last decade or so. I think one of the great things that this record does like you mentioned is it's got an ability to get like fist pump gammy there's there's, a, there's like a bridged solo on child of night which just brings forward that proper like hey hey you could just see it in a live setting everyone put everyone punching along it's really difficult to do in death metal it's really yeah. hard because it's such an aggressive down tuned you're so used to punching thing. each other the arms tend not to go in the air very often <laughs> yeah and that's probably the best compliment I can give to Verminous. It's this record that does everything you could possibly want it to do in death metal, but also brings in other small little elements from extreme metal, brings it all together, and at times gives you like a real anthem feel. And this is a really great album, and I'm, I'm going to be diving right through Black Dahlia Murder now. I, I, to be honest, they're one of these bands I can't believe that I've never listened to one of their albums in thought, and I've only listened to some of their classic tracks. Mm. I'm sold, man. I mean, Good times, man. Glad you're a fan. Let's move on to the closing segment of the show and a band that we're both already absolutely well in on, and that is uh, Malevolent's new EP, The Other Side. Uh, on the 24th of April, massive thanks to the Noise Cartel and Donai for hooking us up with the tr- with the uh, EP. Wow, uh, here we go. I mean, it's out on their own. It's out on their own label, um, Malevolent Limited, which independent band making their own record label. That kind of just describes to you how, how well Malevolence have done for themselves in the last seven to eight years. First of all, Sam, let's just discuss that. I love that this is an EP, by the way, because we interviewed Alex, the vocalist. Uh, your mm-hmm. interview, by the way, let's mention this, will be on a Sam Meets <laughs> on a, a segment on one of the future episodes coming out, and I'm really looking forward to hearing that. But we interviewed Alex, the vocalist, before they played with Not Loose, in November 2019, what a time that was. Indeed. And they, he mentioned to us both at that point that there was new music being worked on. And we both automatically assumed, and when our, both of our interviews were finished, we both said to each other, oh, new Malev album next year, then that'll be in the album of the year chat at the end of 2020, won't it? And we like laughed about it, and we are like, yeah, definitely. And I, I, I just assumed it would be an album, and then when it was announced it was going to be an EP, I thought, I love that. Because generally the idea is that you'd release an album every two years. That's kind of like the understood format for Mm -hmm. alternative music. Malevolence don't do that. Like, they released Rain of Suffering in 2013, blew up in the underground scene, and you would think, right, they'll capitalise it and strike while the iron's hot and they'll release an album two years later. Actually, they waited four years and they did self-supremacy. Same thing, captured the underground scene. Now three years on, they've announced new music, and you think, oh, they'll do another album. Now it's just an EP. Oh, can you think of another band that's got the balls to do this? No, uh, not 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 a band that's still on. I've only released sort of two albums to this point at this stage of their career. I think that's incredible, um, incredible courage and depth. And the fact is that we spoke, we've both spoken to him, and he was he was saying that it's with they take their time. They 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 their music is massively important to them. Uh, they're not going to put out stuff that they don't think is good enough. 
if it takes four years to write a brilliant album, then it takes four years to write a brilliant album. Then when it comes out, it's brilliant and like perfect. <laughs> I've got no problem with that. I would rather I would rather wait four years and want have another self supremacy in terms of the quality and or get an EP like this the other side than have an album every two years and I think oh you've rushed this. And I I don't want that at all. And they are so focused on making sure their music is as good as possible and uh, represents them as clearly as possible that they, they're not going to wait for anybody or at the very least they're going to wait as long as it takes them to wait for they'll release it on their own terms and i agree with you i appreciate the the balls of it but also i appreciate the dedication to the craft don't disenfranchise your fans just by bringing stuff out for them to consume make sure it is the best quality you can possibly bring out and bring it out so let's talk about the ep or the side Two tracks on it, it's a three-track EP, and two tracks have already released, Remain Unbeaten and Keep Your Distance. But the title track here is going to be the focal point of our discussion, yeah. of that I've got no doubt. But do you remember when they played Keep Your Distance live? I do. And Brian Garris came on, uh, not loose vocalist, and we just knew, we saw the crowd kicking off, because obviously they would. Mm. And we just knew, like this, this is going to be a big deal, man. This track is, and hearing it on this EP, this is massive, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, um, absolutely. The 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 keep your distance it reaffirms everything Malevolence have, have perfected over the last two albums in one track, isn't it? It's it combines the the thrashy elements and and the the technical elements of Malevolence are brilliant, like the combination of the Pantera esque riffs with the Hatebreed style thrash stuff, and then it kicks into the the part we're not loose where they slow it right down and it's the big down brutality and that combination of stuff. No other band does it better than Malevolence. And that song is another, another confirmation of that. I agree. It's going to be a live staple as well, as long as they've got um, Brian knocking around for shows. They're just perfect for me and you aren't they, Malevolence. I can't think of, of many other bands that just fit us as well as Malevolence. No, I completely agree. Um, I think this, this EP is, amazing to be honest it's fantastic it's really 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 great and i love it as a i don't know this um but i got the impression um that this is like a teaser into where the band are going towards yeah i feel it yeah and um sort of like a little gateway to to what's going to come on whatever next project malevolence produce and i think it's astonishingly good it combines um it combines the the aggression the intricacy and the riffs of malevolence which no band plays riffs like malevolence oh i fucking argue with anybody that says no no band produces as many great riffs per song the riff per song ratio of malevolence is is higher than any other band it is incredible but then to add this this different element stuff like remain unbeaten a riff you can sing yeah it's fucking wild and then over the top of it that that vocal performance and again the instrumentation and the guitar style is just a given um can we talk about the other side now chris because i've got lots of stuff to talk about let's go mate um this track almost six minutes when i saw it on on the ep listing I was like, okay, Malev have done nine on six minute songs before. I'm expecting this to 
be a little bit like um i'm just trying to remember the name of the song that was on self supremacy something to do with time <laughs> um i'm just looking it up a uh, true cut time true colors seven minutes and i remember saying to you when we, when we reviewed the album ages ago that like they brought in like elements of so many different things on the album that remained within hardcore but this song does something absolutely completely different man uh this expands malev's creative envelope in a way that i never saw coming first 20 seconds this is like acoustic and i was like oh shit they're, they're doing like an, an acoustic track and then sam what follows it's pretty special is it not uh, absolutely absolutely now i heard the opening i opened the opening track and it started off with a clean guitar and i, I if anyone knows me at all especially you chris we talk about this is nothing i love more than clean guitar at the start of metal songs no. Like it, it gets me, it gets me going. Like I'm, I'm in. Like I'm like, it's, it's like got depth. It's got. But then when I heard this other side song, and it's got, a, let let's give this some gorgeous acoustic yeah. and clean guitar work here. Some of the solo at the start, it's just goosebump word, worthy beautiful. And then there's a slow vocalist at the start, and it's not Alex. It's the, it's the bassist, isn't it, that's singing this? Yeah, yeah. And it just. At first, I was taken aback, but it's it's brilliant, it's beautiful, it's melodious, it's it's powerful. And then when it kicks into this chorus, and they're both sort of singing, like sort of vibing off each other, and the bass is going to this deeper thing. It's just it's classic a, metal. Yeah, it, it's, it's a yeah. That's exactly what it is, Chris. You're absolutely right. It's a classic metal song. It's got the beat power of a big rock song, but then it. It combines that with the, the the technicality and the intricacy of of, of malevolence. I think it's gonna. I think it's confirmed malevolence as a band that features some of the best songwriting we have in 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 metal music today. Yeah. Uh, and I'll put their songwriting ability up there with Architects and Parkway Drive, and even even Bring Me in terms of like the the bravery and the intricacy and stuff like that because. To have something as good as what Malevolence have had on the last two albums, nine out of ten bands would be like, let's just do that for ten years. That's yeah. really let's that's really good. We're gonna make enough money to survive, or make enough money we can just tour this, bring out an album every two years, and just watch people beat each other up until we're sick of it. They're they're bored already. Seems that they're already bored with that. It's like um, sort of Metallica pretty much in cemented thrash metal in 1983 then by 1984 they were like should we just spin this off and do something else and then it's the same sort of thing that that i think i think they're the best hardcore band in the business in terms of like the musicianship and stuff like that already and they're already it's like they're they're already better than everybody else now they're lapping everybody else with this stuff i, I there is no other band in their in their wheelhouse who play the shows that they play that can do this this successfully no. Absolutely not. Could, and I love and I love a lot of the bands in their wheelhouse. Do not get me wrong. Absolutely love them. But the only time you ever see Knock Loose bring out an acoustic guitar is to beat each other over the head with. It's not going to yeah. happen. It's not going to happen in any other circumstance. To be able to do this um, so successfully and so powerfully, this is amazing. This is like when I heard. Um, it reminds me a bit of like when Machine they did like a farewell to Arms and Halo, and it's like oh. You can write this stuff as well. You can do this as well. Um, Lamb of God tried this and weren't it successful. Um, when they when they brought out their last album, Sturm and Drang, do you remember? Yeah. When they tried to do the slow stuff and Randy just can't can't really do it as well. But this, having the extra vocalist uh, on bass has given them an entirely different vibe. 
So it, it combines all of the stuff that you already love about Malevolence with this like extra bit that's just astonishing and beautiful and and and, and just eye-opening. It is, if this is a sign of things to come and the sign of the bravery and their ability and success they're already having, this is like their first try. When we hear bands try to do this, remember when we were listening to uh, All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us by Architects and we yeah. were saying, I remember saying to you like, Oh, this, you can tell that their next album's going to be amazing because where they're about to start with. And when you heard um, Parkway Drive's Aya, and you're like, oh, uh, the next album's going to be like, th- like it said, like they were growing. The fact that they're already th- this good at this, I think their next album is going to be like a, like a album of the decade type thing. I, I really, really do. I think it has a chance to be that good because I'm hearing, I'm hearing this, and I think the other side is one of the one of the best songs I've heard this year um from any metal band and then the fact that it's so brave um on top of it just sort of adds to it i think this is an astonishing release and i think they're going to get some backlash because people are stupid and people are bipartisan and people um people don't want progress but then complain that there isn't enough progress and people don't people don't like things that sound different and there will be a, a, a portion of malevolence fans or a portion of hardcore fans in general that are like will roll their eyes when this is on us like, oh let's when does the breakdown kick in <laughs> and it's like that sort of response but i think what it'll do is the people that that are going to do that will die off maybe and the people that are brought in will replace those people and they will expand their own audience um because this is a metal song i couldn't have shown malevolence to a few people i could show malevolence to my, my friends who i know are metal fans I can show my parents this sort of stuff. Whereas, 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 whereas this, it's like a gateway into like an expanding audience where you're like, oh, they also can do this sort of thing. And it, it we were just talking about Linkin Park, about how they were able to combine something that pleased everybody almost simultaneously, how rare that was. Um, and this sort of has a little bit of that in the sense that it will satisfy someone's desire for a chorus and emotion, but it doesn't feel cheesy or pushed on. But at the same time, it combines this, beautiful musicianship and instrumentation that they are wonderful at um i can't i can't speak highly enough about this i wish it was i'm glad it's an ep because it like i said it shows the balls of malevolence and i respect that i just wish it was 12 tracks just for me i want i want 12 of this i think it's very telling for the band's future the fact that who they got in to produce this album they've got carl brett they've got carl brown who's done yes uh, Trivium and Bullet from a Valentine. I think that's very telling for what Malevolence are looking to achieve for themselves. That's not me saying they're going to end up sending like Trivium or Bullet from a Valentine. What I mean by that is they are going to look to go for this platform of hardcore slash metal, which can be open to a wide variety of genres. They want to be on the main stage of download, don't they? I think they do, mate, yeah. I, I I don't think that, like I said, I don't think they're going to end up like sounding like Trivium and they're, they're going to do nine-minute songs like Shogun or anything like that. But I think they're looking for a level of quality that's up there with the biggest hitters in metal in this day. Like, they had artwork done by the guy that's done it for Testament and Iced Earth. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just like this... <laughs> it's this fingerprint of we have the ability to aim for the best and we won't 
be happy with anything other than that. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, it also just plays their ability to sort of spread their wings a little bit. They're not saying, oh, who's the best in hardcore? It's who's the best in metal. Who's the best in our entire alternative music scene? And I think that for people like ourselves who've bought, you know, if you've ever bought a Malevolence T-shirt or gone to see them live or bought a Malevolence record, because they're an independent band, you have funded this. We 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 are Malevolence. Do you know what I mean? Because they they're not on a label. They are entirely independent. Most of them still have day jobs. Mm. Everything that's in the band is done by the band and decided by the band. So it's one of those like really heartwarming things where you see them do something that's I've got no doubt going to be as successful. I, I think this EP is going to be a really, really good stepping point for them. And I think if they do an album in like 2021, 2022, and it builds on what's done here, and it becomes this massive, massive album for them, I, I think that you'll look back and think this album couldn't have been achieved if it wasn't for the platform that this album gave for them. Because you're right, I think there is going to be the occasional idiot that's like, oh, I don't like Malevolence anymore, they've done the other side and it's soft. But I think that they would happily substitute that for the extra 50 people per 300 that they'd bring in solely because of this song. Because I, 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 I just... It's the best chorus outside of Serpent's Chokehold. The other side is the best chorus they've ever written. I completely agreed. They've never written a chorus as good as the other side regardless of whether it's hardcore or not, because it's not, like I say, it's a classic metal song, and it goes through classic metal boundaries. Best chorus they've written. And I think it builds the idea that they could do something really, really special on the next album. And at the moment, they're this independent hardcore band that do great merch and do good tour sales, and they do good record sales for their size. I think there's every chance that come the next album there could be this band that can't be independent anymore. They'd get to a size where it's like we can't we can't do anything else as well as this. And whether that would suit them or not, I don't know. Obviously time would tell on that. But they they will just continue to grow because man, we saw them sub not loose. Man, you see remember that crowd? Yeah. I was like yeah. we 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 said like man, like this is a headline crowd, this is. Yeah, it was 50-50, not loose and Malevolence fans, I thought. Literally. I went there for Malevolence, really. And that stock is just going to get continued to move forward with an EP like this. And then when this next album drops, I've got I've got really, really high hopes for it, man. I, I, I agree. I think if this album is... If this EP is an indication what the album's going to sound like, then... The world is crying out for a while she sleeps malevolence tour. Or Code Orange. I, I, I hate. I, I've said, I know. I've, I've mentioned it at the start of the show again. You quite like them, don't you, mate? Well, I love bravery in music. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, and the other side is a brave step. And if the next malevolence album carries on from that bravery while still putting that malevolence touch on it. Fucking mm. put Code Orange and Malevolence on a tour, and that shit what? sells out. And how, wow. how fucking hell, I die. Have them, have them both supporting Parkway and a stadium show. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's just so many options, isn't that's what's really exciting about this? We we mentioned no one's ever going to do anything like what Hybrid Theory did for Linkin Park. No, they're not. 
but Malevolence are one of those really interesting, like, sweetheart, hardcore bands that you can't help but get behind because not only are they so good at what they do, they're incredibly brave, they're incredibly steadfast in their chase for quality, and whenever Malevolence do something, because they're an independent band, you know it's been decided and fought over by the band. There's no record executive that's knocking on their door and being like, hey, you should get the testament going for um, for the artwork for the new EP. Or, oh, we spoke to Carl Brown from Trivia and Bullet from Valentine. We've got him to do the production for you. They went to Carl. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They chose him. And Carl, Carl Brown heard the music that they were going to put together and was like, yeah, I want to produce this. You know, which, which is a... Which is a which is a which is a get in itself because you you could probably argue that if they'd have sent him purely hardcore stuff he might have he might not have been as inclined to do it um because you know you've got to think as a producer where are your talents going to be best matched and if Pot and malevolence are bringing out sort of music that will suit a producer like Carl Brown who you can say what you like about Bullet and Trivium at any point in their albums they always sound fucking spectacular yeah. their music their music is so polished especially Bullet it's just pitch perfect clean um and that's what malevolence are gonna gonna sound like they're gonna be um it's gonna be a polished professional a plus sounding record now if they can write songs like this and do and put seven out of uh, seven of them on a 10 track album then then watch the fuck out like because this band are gonna go places i believe not many more bands that I'm excited for more than the future of Malevolence, Sam. No, I completely agree, mate. I completely agree. That does it for this episode of the Noise Podcast. Do stick around because my Chris Meat segment with Dean Harry's is coming up right after this. On the next episode of the Noise Podcast, I will either put in my Chris Meat with Walter Delgado from Rotting Out, which was over an hour chat which was the most fascinating interview I've ever done or I might put Sam meets Alex Taylor from Malevolence on I'm going to look at what's out on that week and try and decide which one I think would fit better regardless there will be an interview on next week on the next episode as well thank you so much for listening we're going to be back in another two weeks we love you very much bye so they're joined by Dean Harris also known as We The D mate how are you Oh, good. Yeah, not too bad. Mate, thanks, for coming, thanks for coming on, man. Um, I've, I've met yeah, you, please. what, two or three times? Um, and each time I've met you, we've always had to, had some kind of long conversation. But I've never like had the chance to be like, let's talk about your life. So this will <laughs> be cool, man. I'm really interested in this. Buzzing. Yeah, we've uh, we've had, had plenty of deep chats, but yeah, never, never anything super personal. So yeah, awesome, uh, awesome opportunity to do that, I guess. It's the same thing as like with Jack. I said to him, like every time I spoke to him, it's always been like uh, music related or some or one specific topic because I, I can talk forever, man. So we, <laughs> you, you start me on a topic and I just go. So like I've never really had a chance to sit you down and like find out inner workings behind how you got to where you are. And we're gonna we're gonna get into uh, the company that you started and how you became a photographer and all, all that kind of stuff but whenever I do these kind of Chris Meets interviews I always like to start off with the question of uh, you know when was the first time that you remember listening to music and taking it in as more than something that was just on in the background at the time what were kind of the first bands that you remember thinking like oh I actually really enjoy this band oh. artists in general I, I think I've got the I've got the perfect one for this you know Go on, like, man. My, 
I got older brothers, so I was always I always grew up around sort of their their music taste. You know, you obviously get heavily influenced by family members playing music yeah. around you all the time. But uh, they were massively into the likes of Guns N' Roses and oh. all of this kind of thing. So I had like the the most awesome introduction into music that actually meant anything, probably mm-hmm. like way back in those days when Guns N' Roses were were like big. Even though I was born in '91, like my my brothers are still like considerably older, so they were yeah. they were vibing off that. And then I always used to just kind of um, naturally just take on all of these these little bits and learn bits of these songs, and I was just kind of. Um, I don't know, just kind of went from there, really. I kind of took on their their music taste, all of the early parts of their music taste, I think. And, yeah, all of those early Guns N' Roses stuff like definitely stood out for me as we, as a kid growing up. Was it like when you got to secondary school that you started like doing your own kind of brainstorms of, okay, so Guns N' Roses yeah, sound yeah. like XYZ band, and then that band sound like XYZ band, and you, all definitely. of a sudden you've got this like, music encyclopedia growing? 100%, yeah. It, it started with, like... I don't know, uh, like later years, then developing on like liking like rock and metal and bits and bobs like that. You know, hybrid theory was a massive one. Like growing up, um, like in, well through school, I went in, into all of the sort of um, rock metal, Coheed and Cambria, uh, Alkaline Trio, and that kind of developed into like a massive love for pop punk and stuff as well. And then I've basically never left that as well. Always had that. So yeah, it's just. It's always kind of set off with rock and is still rock basically to this day when you when you're in secondary school and, and you're starting to piece this like encyclopedia together who were the bands that really move things forward for you in terms of like you really fall in love with the band's concept and then thinking i want to hear everything that sounds like this band uh, like for example mine was like you meet six man i remember like discovering you meet six because they were supporting paramore on a show i was going to see and all of a nice. sudden i really got into take off your colors and then i was like man i want to find every band that sounds like you meet six so that becomes like mayday parade and four um four years strong and forever the sickest kids who, who yep. was that kind of band for you um probably um by the, by the time i was like fully engrossed in the whole pop punk scene it was like we the kings like ah. the inspiration behind we the d yeah well. man i love that i love that story yeah um because like i was known as d in school and blah blah blah. like we the kings and then i used it as forum usernames and yeah but we the kings were just like that that band for me at the time that i just loved every single bit about everything that they did oh, man, check was, yes juliet yeah. still bangs to this time oh. Definitely, yeah. It's like you know all of that stuff. I look back on it and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of cheesy, but it def- definitely like uh, captures that moment in in history, in, in my my life's history. I think quite nicely. It was just stupid. Um, and Panic at the Disco as well as another uh, another massive one. Yeah, of course, man. Like there was that moment in time where. Like, We The Kings and All Time Low and You Meet Six and Forever The Sickest Kids. Like, there was, like, that upwards curve of, like, really easy listening pop punk that it seemed like the whole genre was going to explode. Yeah, in the end, only really You Meet Six and All Time Low were the ones that really made a massive step. But there was that moment in time where it seemed like they might all make that jump, yeah. Indeed. Well, Mayday Parade, like you mentioned earlier as well, they're still banging out albums and they're sticking to what they they were doing back then as well which is quite nice um i've always had massive like respect for mayday parade i mean if i pick up a guitar now i'd probably play a mayday parade song (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm glad you mentioned guitar because when we first came in 
I mentioned you as like a photographer, but there's a part of me that's like, I'm not really sure like how you would define your role in the industry really because yes you are a photographer but then I've seen you do uh, web design and I see videos of you with a guitar singing so like if someone comes to you and say oh what do you do like do you, is it like photography that you say first and then you leave everything yeah. else behind yeah I think so um I've always been kind of like a um more of like a promoter sort of thing but not like a promoter putting on shows I mean like supporting bands and just you know like building brands and things like I used to have a band myself back in the day so I know how like difficult that can be if you have like no you know general knowledge of how to put together like brand awareness of a band and a lot of like time that's missed in a band as well especially like a a small one you know talking like local bands and stuff it's it's not quite as easy as just like adding a hundred people on Facebook and being like, Oh, check out my band sort of thing. You have to have a kind of a good sense of, um, you know, building a community around yeah. a band to be successful these days, I think. Um, and just with the, like, I've always been interested in, in, in photography. Like I started the brand in 2009 and there's always been music involved in it at some point as well. So working with these bands to kind of generate something that would, you know, reflect their, image what they wanted to get across has always been something that i've loved doing but yeah generally a photographer but you know do music videos do all kinds of random stuff you know if someone's like oh got a youtube channel like can you bosh up a couple of banners or whatever i can do a bit of that as well so yeah i think it it's a it's a wider thing it's more of like a sort of brand agency type media nerd type environment rather than just going to shoot shows and that's it sort of thing so let's talk about the first time you realise, hey, being a photographer would be cool. Was it was it music related that you first wanted to pick up a camera? Or was it something else that inspired you to pick one up and then it just happened to be that you thought, oh, I could do, I could shoot bands with this camera as well? I think, um, I, I don't think it really started with anything in particular, you know. I, I've always had a love for just making stuff look awesome. And I think most photographers probably have that at some point as well, like realizing that you can edit a photo to make it look like amazing, you know, regardless of what it what what it started out as. Um, but I used to shoot loads of automotive stuff. I've always been part of car scenes as well, like owned classic cars and bits and bobs. Um, and I've always been obviously a massive massive music lover, so I've always gone to shows. And I, I was thinking maybe I could try and shoot a show maybe even like if it was just from the wings sort of thing and actually talking of all time low actually one of the first shots at a show i ever got um was in tj's in newport tiny little club in newport south wales um all time low cobra starship and uh broadway calls uh, back in something cobra ridiculous starship yeah <laughs> man we are in- talking way back uh, I mean, the smallest, like, grimiest little club as well, but had, like, historic, amazing acclaim. Like, it's, it's it closed, like, a fair few years ago now. But um, it must have been about 2000 and, 2008, something like that, 2007. Um, so before I would even have considered I was starting a brand with, the like, the photo thing. And I just remember getting a shot of Jack, like, in front of his, like, guitar stack. It was in today's standards it was shite it was really bad probably <laughs> um but I, just, I loved it i was like oh this is awesome maybe i could like do this alongside you know like the whole setting up the whole promo type thing with bands as well you know like, go and shoot some shows and maybe even like 
get a tour or something, you know, that, that would be the dream, I think. But yeah, that, that's probably the earliest ones that I, I remember doing music, but it started from cars, really. It started from auto, automotive scene, so. And that was like in secondary school? Yes. That you climbed yeah. onto this? Yes. So, so you start, so like the automotive scene, you start like, did you have like a sibling that was really into it as well and that took you to like kind of show reels and you started taking taking pictures there? How did that work? Yeah. Uh, yeah, my, my my brothers again, like loads of influence. My brothers, even though uh, not so much these days. But yeah, my brothers used to have like old, ridiculous, classic. Well, weren't necessarily classics at the time, but like capris and stuff like that. Um, and then as soon as I, as I was like old enough to drive when I was seventeen, um, I had like Mark One Golfs and stuff myself, and was just going to shows and going to like local cruises and runs and stuff like that. So, yeah, just came from there, really. VW scene stuff. I remember the first time we ever met, I had gone down with Sam to uh, Cardiff to see Jack for the weekend. Uh, we were standing in fuel, and Jack had said, and I didn't know it was you at the time, and Jack was like, hey, there's this new photographer that we've got that I think is going to uh, come and like work with us. His name's D-Man. He's like, I say, I think you'll really like him. If you if you, if you you get a chance to like, speak to him, and I was like, I'll point him out then when whenever you see him and I'll go and have a chat with him. As it turns out, me and you then had a chat without me knowing that you were Dean. Um, <laughs> and we had this like, I was, I was talking to you about your job at the time and it was something to do with um, like you were like um, oil liners. Yes, something yeah. along those lines, and you were saying, you know, you were like, yeah, I mean, it's cool, and, and the money's good, but you're like, I really wanted this photography stuff, and we had this like, must have been like thirty, forty minute conversation, and I didn't even know, yeah. I don't even remember the, whether I knew your name at this point, and then yeah. we had this long conversation, and then about two minutes later, I was, I was talking to Jack again, I was like, oh, I was like that guy there, he was just, I was saying, he was just telling me this, 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 and this, he's like, that's D. I was like, no way, you see, you're right, you sound as fuck, man, this guy's awesome, um, Love. so, um. Just spinning off that point just quickly for a second, how you were like what seventeen taking pictures of these cars, and then by the time you're like nineteen, is it like I want to take pictures of everything? I want to set up my own business. I want to see if I can really make a lifestyle out of this as like as a hobby on the side that could potentially grow into like a business. I, you know, most people would have thought that, <laughs> but I was the complete opposite. I had, um, I had a stream of jobs that I just smashed. Uh, up until last August, like I've had the brand ten years now, and it's never been—it's um, not not necessarily never been a thought that I would switch to it as a main job, but it's never been um, like the main goal because I always had a, a job to work hard at alongside it, yeah. and just develop the brand in you know even as the weekends basically. Because um, I, I worked for Dover Pass Police uh, before uh, I had the oil job, and then I had the oil job for the last uh, eight years. And I did like five really hard years of like climbing up the side of ships at like four o'clock in the morning and speaking to Russian captains and yeah, doing like 90 plus hour weeks and all kinds of mad stuff. 2000 miles like worth of worth of driving just within my small county and stuff like every every month. Um, And I kind of got to a position where I was mainly office based and it was super sweet. You know, it was like getting to that comfortable like this is what I've worked hard for for the last five years to get into this nice position. And I lasted about three more years in that. And I was just like, I just want to do something. <laughs> you know, like I need to do something that I love that doesn't feel like coming to this this desk, you know. 
um, and just doing all these hours, especially like when my rents are still around. I just felt like I was going there, and not that it was like dead end at all. It was like a nice, you know, nice job, well, well paid for you know for what it was. Um, I just didn't. I had that feeling like if I don't do this now and and make a change to to pursuing the brand and doing photos. I think I would regret it. You know, the biggest regret ever would be like still sat in that desk in like 10 years time and like not having my family around me to, to go and hang out with or, you know, just looking back and being like, why didn't I spend the last 10 years doing my thing rather than working for somebody else's thing? I, I guess that's kind of a bit rock and roll, but it's uh, it was the biggest step ever. And so far it's been the best step ever. So I'm like seven, eight months in, into it now and it's class. You know what? Um, funny you should mention that because I remember when we were having this conversation, like when we first met, I was saying to you that I worked in the finance industry and mm-hmm. I was saying to you that, man, like 90% of the people that I meet that are really, really incredibly well off are all absolutely miserable because they spent 40 years working 60, 70 hours a week so they could be really well off when they retire. And then now they retire, they're too old to do anything that they want that they want to do. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's the actual 10% that really work hard, but they they live a modest life and they relatively enjoy work. And then they save up on what they spend on is having a great time in life. I was like, they're the ones that I see that are really happy. Eventually, it was being exposed to that, which which is what drove me away from working in the finance industry. And I don't work in it anymore. But I remember we were, we were talking about this and you were like, literally, mate, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, I could live for like 50 years on this way and not have a problem, but I might not have the memories that I could have had with my parents or just like the life skills or the general enjoyment from my job that I would have if I really wanted to pursue this photography stuff. Absolutely. That's 100% what it was. Yeah, and that's that was enough. You know, like I didn't didn't actually start out with like loads of work to go and do either. You know, I had like a few weddings that could keep me solid until like the start of this season. Obviously, like everything's changed now with the current climate and stuff. But just just having that, you know, I could pick up some jobs was enough like for me to go. I'm going to do it. Why not? No. How much experience did you give yourself before you felt like? you were competent in all areas because I, I've seen some of your galleries and they are everything from bands to I've seen bits of wildlife, uh, weddings. Did you just, was it the kind of case, Hey, I'll do it for free. I just want to turn up and get good. Um, kind of in the, in the, in the early days, I guess, you know, like, um, most of the time I love a skill swap, you know? So like most of the, like the really nice opportunities I've had over the, over the years have been like, for either like friends or families or I've just, you know, lucky to have this nice network of people that can like, you know, not necessarily like pay me, but like just develop alongside me and stuff. Like there's loads of, you know, say Pembrokeshire music people that I work with all the time, work with an amazing recording studio um, up on, on uh, Clarkson Road, which is stunning, converted chapel, absolutely amazing. Bands in and out all the time. It's something that I can like offer to, assist like with the running of social media in sort of the exchange of you know creating amazing content along with it as well sort of thing so i think there's a lot of a lot of instances over the last probably 10 years or most of 10 years that have been a lot of skill swapping type vibes so and you know with the opportunity to learn alongside it so it's not necessarily like i'll come and treat your wedding for free it's more like 
um, if an opportunity comes to be like, we're getting married in Italy, like if we take you with us, you know, and like spend a week with us sort of thing, like will you do it for, for cheap, you know, that kind of thing. And I love that. That's, that's kind of awesome. So yeah, like similar, but not necessarily like work for free. I wouldn't necessarily hope that anybody would work for free if, if you can do it. But to, um, to start skill swaps are the way I think. I appreciate that because, because I do like the writing side of stuff and like the presenting. It's a little bit different. Um, for, for me, because literally writers are ten a penny, really. Uh, you know, if, if you're relatively good at English, you'll be able to write a review. Whereas, man, dude, if you, if you put me in the middle of a wedding and said, oh, here's this DLSR, <laughs> I would not have a fucking clue <laughs> what I'm doing. Like, you, I've got no doubt that you could write a review, even if, you you haven't been trained as a reviewer or anything like that. If you're relatively good at English, you'll be able to write a review. But if you drop me, if you, if you parachute me like on like a battle royale, like into the middle of a wedding and give me a camera, holy shit, that married couple's going to be really disappointed with what I'm showing <laughs> out. So it's really cool that like photographers such as yourself have got the ability to just be, to do things like that, like to really value their work because you see a lot on social media now and I'm sure you would have seen this as well. Um, photographers mm. sometimes get a bit of a tough ride in the sense of like sometimes not just like bands just like people in general regardless of the industry don't really want to pay them and I'm not sure why yeah um I guess it, this is the the area of the creative arts being sort of undervalued you know like say if you're an artist and stuff like that a lot of people aren't necessarily pushed into these areas because they feel it's kind of you know, not paid as as well as it should be, which obviously anyone in this industry f- would feel completely against as well. There's some incredible skilled people um, that that can create some amazing stuff, and also for some amazing people, if they're not valued in in the right way, it's it's almost lost. You know, it's like the cycle continues of people going. Oh, it's not necessarily like something you should get into because it's like not something you can live on. It's like, oh, that needs to change. Like, that really does need to change. Any specific photographers that you were looking up to, like Adam Almakaios, for example, or anything like that? Oh, um, specifically in music or? Oh, mate, let's do an open book. Anything in general? Oh, my, my photo idol is, um, because I, I love street photography. I mean, if I could get paid to do street photography all the time, I would 100% do that because street photography is just insane. Awesome insight into humans and interactions and just awesome. Anyway, but uh, Ed Templeton uh, is one of my photo idols. He's the owner of uh, Toy Machine Skateboards. If you ever remember the, the old Toy Machine Skateboards, I if you're do. ever a skateboarder. I do. Yeah. Holy shit, yeah, yeah. He's a... Um, a street photographer, uh, like 95% uh, film stuff. Um, just absolutely incredible. Um, just blows my mind. I got some, some of his books. So I got like, I'm a proper Ed Hamilton nerd. He's just excellent. Really, really good. And another one is Larry Chen as well. Larry Chen's a, uh, automotive photographer. He does loads, loads of bits with Hoonigan and the, uh, the likes. Um, so he shoots like Formula Drift, um, like the, some of the biggest drift series in, in America follow all those those camera nerds they're incredible at what they do awesome to an absolute photography simpleton such as myself Mm -hmm. it's really really difficult for me to understand just how difficult being a photographer is because i suppose 
if you are completely outside the industry of photography, it is so much more than literally just taking a picture, isn't it? There's all kinds of things that go into the timing, the framing, the editing after. What was the hardest or most challenging aspect for you to learn of the actual concept of taking a picture? I think it's all of like the the nitty gritty really. I'm I love um like kit. I'm a proper kit nerd. I was even a kit nerd like with music as well, you know, like loving guitars rather than loving playing guitar. I just loved the thing. You know, like and picking up a guitar is something special, you know. And it's the same with camera gear. Like so learning how that piece of gear works was like the more attractive thing to me than learning what came out of it. I don't know, that, that might be just a weird take on it, but learning how like all of the things interacted together uh, to be able to you know, produce the outcome that I wanted was like super interesting rather than the actual, okay, that's a nice photo, that's a nice photo, I could have framed that better or I could have learned you know, something about this certain area or how not to blow out you know, highlights here and things like that. How, like you know, Learning the real nitty gritty of how certain cameras do certain things and how they all work together was the really attractive thing for me. Were if you, that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes complete sense. Were you at a point where you were consistently going to shows and consistently doing galleries for a specific site? Because from my experience with you with noise, you do go out and and, and shoot shows, but it, it it doesn't seem like that's your number one. Like, was was there at any point where you were like shooting like a show a week? Uh, there wasn't actually. You know, um, even even now, um, my biggest involvement in direct live live music coverage um, is still being noise, and I think always will be noise because um, I think anything I'd done before was purely for either the band that I was working with at the time or or a promoter that asked me to um so it was more on like a a very businessy thing um a bit cold i guess in comparison to a good coverage you know like like what we do at nice oh yeah dude that wasn't me uh arguing or having a go <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah yeah but yeah <laughs> that was you know, just curious yeah there's, there's never been uh like any 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 other reason basically other than supporting the band so yeah absolutely it's, it's, yes um noise is 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 the one so you started the the company about 11 years ago starts off as a hobby yeah heat starts picking up you leave it as a hobby because you've got your your job where you're earning like your wage and yeah. then eventually you decide, you know what, I'm going to roll the dice here and if it crumbles down, then at least I might be sitting at a desk in 10 years wondering what if. When you, the first day that you were now like self-employed, what's the first thing you do when you're looking at your laptop? Was it oh. just like, right, okay, I need to like make business cards or I need to get in touch with people who have done shop weddings for before and say, got any friends that are getting married by any chance? What, what What's that like? <laughs> oh, well... Um, I did have a bit of a lead up time. Um, I'd say probably about like, six to eight months worth of like planning this whole whole thing out. It was you know it was quite had to be quite calculated with it because you know if it was going to be my income you know like full time, I kind of needed to secure at least a bit of a, a bit of work beforehand. But I think um, 
in in that time it started off as a hobby and then there was a period of it being like an extended hobby like not necessarily directly in my mind was like I'm going there like you know it will be a job eventually but I always kind of like wanted it to be but didn't really know when and then when when I got to that point pretty much when I spoke to you actually that that time you know the time we were talking about I think it got to the point then when I was like right I'm gonna put some things into place and I did pick up some weddings. I put a little like deal up basically uh, with some previous ones that I'd shot, you know, especially ones from abroad and, you know, really nice, like the bigger weddings, more attractive weddings. And I just basically said introductory, like sort of thing, January, you know, a hundred pound off sort of deal and picked up, you know, a couple of, a couple of weddings to start the next season. And from then I already had a few things like ongoing with some bands and, some stuff locally as well i was just like why not here we go (laughs) pretty much you know a lot of people criticize the internet for taking a lot away from the music industry especially in terms of how bands and people in the industry can make revenue and people say quite often now that the music industry though it is still you know an industry that's well off it's got nowhere near as much money in it as it did 15, 20 years ago, which does make sense when you when you put the figures together and stuff. But yeah. with, that, with that, if it wasn't for the internet, places like Tumblr and Instagram, these like kind of entry level sites where people can go in and like like hone the craft and get better at photography, they literally wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the internet. And do you think it's like fair to say that photography? as a complete whole industry would be in a much tighter position if it wasn't for the invention of the internet? Um, I think so. You know, like historically it was always kind of like getting published was the thing, you know, getting, um, but now obviously we have different, get to kind of progress with the times a little bit. I, th- I think it'd be so difficult if that didn't exist anymore. Massively. So, cause you know, how many people say out of like, a hundred photographers. How many of those hundred photographers have been been published in a, in a magazine, for example? You know, there's there's a lucky few highlight ones. You know, that might have got lucky here and there. If that was your only outlet for all of your photos, how were you ever going to get any work without your work being seen in a magazine previously? You know, it was quite quite difficult. So maybe it's more accessible with the internet, but it's also sort of shifted a saturated market of everybody being able to see everybody's photos regardless of whether they're you know shot you know shot on a beach with an iphone or you know i'm not saying there's anything bad about that but um you know or some some top end shows somewhere i think the internet is kind of vital as much as it is um limiting do you think you would still be sitting here and we'd be talking like and you'd still be a, a full-time photographer regardless of the invention of the internet do you think you would have found this passion anyway? I think so, yeah. And I think I would probably be uh, one of the incredibly lucky, unfortunate few that have a good network of of like music bods in in Pembrokeshire, especially um, to, that would like still require it, regardless of the internet. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, like definitely for like promotional materials and bits and bobs like that. Maybe it wouldn't be the same content, you know. But the video side of things as well would still be, I guess, the same, but released in a different way. So, yeah. How do you run the business now? Because 
obviously the situation that we're in in terms of like obviously the coronavirus mm-hmm. you know i'm assuming all your weddings have been cancelled any kind, any kind <laughs> of like traveling jobs you were going to go and do they've been cancelled so without mm-hmm. making this seem like I'm, I'm putting you in a like position where you give it sound like you're pleading or anything like that Otherwise, that's not what this is what what's the business looking like for you now as we speak Oh, it's obviously a huge change, massive changes recently. So I think uh, probably about, I've been, I'm quite lucky that I have other outlets other than just the, the main wedding season to be like my main income. Like I've got like massive, like, like huge sad feelings for a lot of like my, my photographer mates in, in PEMS, especially in, in, in Wales in general, that, you know, their, their only time to earn income is through a wedding season. You know, they don't necessarily do anything out of just doing weddings. So they might do, say, seven, eight months worth of just weddings, and that's all the money they will earn for the whole year. And this has just happened to be right pretty much bang in the middle of all of those. So, you know, potentially 12, 15, you know, thousand pound plus sort of like losses worth of providing couples, you know, photos on their big day is, is a huge, huge impact for someone who just does weddings. But I'm quite lucky, obviously, with, the music side of things, even though everything that has been cancelled and stuff is on hold, I've still got some commercial things on going that I can, you know, spend some time or maybe even spend extra time editing, you know, and like making sure that it's, it's perfect before it actually goes out. Um, and then I'm super lucky as well. At the start of this year, I got asked uh, to come and uh, be a tutor uh, for a photography course. Awesome. Uh, uh, so... Uh, like basically our alternative um, teaching. So, you know, all the kids that can't uh, can't get on in mainstream school or get chucked out of school and stuff like that, we still do everything we can to provide them with an education um, through this, you know, this, this company that work alongside the school. And it's just been the perfect timing, really. I couldn't have, couldn't have hoped for anything better to come along right now because <laughs> uh, that's still a source of income alongside of, you know, the whole whole drama, really. Um, it's massively rewarding yeah. though dude that's a really cool thing for you to do i love it yeah it's awesome i never thought i'd in a million years i'd do it it like it came about in a really weird way as well in december i did a video job for them and um after i did all the edit and stuff about a week later i got like a call from the, the like the boss there who i worked with on that day and she was just like i've got you know like i love this video like the whole day went awesomely and stuff and i was like well, cheers very much. You know, it was a pleasure to work with you. Thank, thanks for the job. And she goes, can you come down to a Halford West office? And I was thinking, oh, God, what's happened? You know, <laughs> if they lost the footage or something. <laughs> and uh, she was actually like, can you, like, come and just see what we do? And I was like, why not? You know, it was a time when I had, like, two weeks in between uh, a job and uh, I was going to Amsterdam, Antwerp to do a job. And I came down, I did, like, a little sort of half an hour, like, just having a look around. And they, they told me what they did. And they basically said, we really want you to come and join this. And I was like, really? And they were like, absolutely. So it's been like the luckiest thing ever. It was awesome. No application form. Never had a job like that before. <laughs> Man, that is so awesome. And like you've, you've traveled Europe slash the world doing this, which is just so sick. What's the furthest place you've traveled to to do a job? Oh, I've shot a wedding in Perth in Australia. Um, Dude. Yeah. So awesome. Shot a wedding in uh, Tuscany, Italy. One in uh, Malaga in Spain. Um, yeah, only a couple, well, a uh, couple of months ago now, I think. I was in Amsterdam and Antwerp doing like commercial job there. 
promo for a big oil company related to my old job as well. Um, kind of worked alongside the company that did that for. But yeah, it's been been all over the place. I've spent five five or six times in New York as well, shooting street. Love it, dude. <laughs> so sick. Um, were Love these it. jobs that like people from England were getting married abroad, or were these people abroad that stumbled across you and like we're taking this dude? We want we want we're going to fly this dude over. Um, all people from Wales um, that uh, that have brought me with them. Yeah, and that just like speaks to the importance of building a strong online presence for yourself yeah yeah absolutely i was lucky enough to like know these these people and have a really good rapport before beforehand as well um so that that super helps you shot arc tangent for us last year if i remember correctly oh, one of my favorite favorite oh, let, games. let's talk about it man uh, were oh. you you were there for the entire festival yes absolutely yeah you shot my sugar didn't you oh I'm still pinching myself. It was Amazing. just the most mental thing I've ever shot in my entire life. Absolutely awesome. Is that one of the yeah. peaks of your uh, career? I think so. Um, other than the last one I shot, uh, the last gallery I put up, which was City in Colour um, oh, in, in in London Palladium. Like, I'm a massive City in Colour fan. Like, huge. Oh, They're definitely in my top three. So that was like my dream dream gig. But uh, Arc Tangent was something else, especially with uh coheed and camera being on the bill oh, and i was saying course. like i was a massive coheed fan even when i went back to the school days like we were saying earlier so to see them live and get an opportunity to shoot them as well was like just beautiful amazing something i wasn't aware of until like, i really got in the industry was the concept of the photo pit I oh, thought yeah. I thought that when you get a photo pass, you just stand at the front and you just take pictures all night. I didn't know that like you get like a one to three song like max allowance and then you're out. Yeah. Um, and a, I, 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 from what I've read, there are a lot of people that aren't aware of this and they turn they turn up to the show for the first one to the shoot and they're like, "Hey, you got three songs max and then you're out," and like what? And then like they're panicking, running around trying to get the best shots. What is, what is that like when when you like you know you've got a maximum of nine minutes to get as many good shots as you can, and you got to get them framed, you got to get the timing right. Yeah. What's that? How do you perform under that pressure, or is that all part of the fun? Do you know? Um, that's what I love more than anything in photos. You know, like it. Obviously, it, photography is all about capturing that one particular moment. But when you have a time limit on that. Yeah, it's it's not just like placing a car in a car park and then, you know, playing around with the lighting for a bit yeah. and, you know, spending two hours just trying to get that one shot and, you know, doing all the focus stacking and all the fancy stuff. If someone goes, here's a camera, here's a photo pit, here's three songs, get an album of bangers, you're like, ah, in a way, <laughs> in a way that's kind of so awesome. And like super changeable lighting conditions. Sometimes the pit's really busy, especially at Arc Tangent, and like daughter, uh, when daughters were on. Um, at Arc Tangent, there was like we only had half of the space of the pit as well, and there was like eighteen people in it. Um, it and it was yeah, we were literally like climbing over each other. It was nuts. Um, but I love that that sense of kind of sense of urgency. But it's kind of like you've got to get this now. Like that, you know, if you don't do it now, it's that like do or die thing. I love that. Like I think that goes back to it's, it's the same in a wedding. You know, you get you get one day to shoot a wedding. You can't redo a wedding you know nobody's gonna come yeah. back and you know put another ring on it you know it's like it's not gonna happen but i think it goes back to like the school days um i've always been quite good under pressure 
Um, if you put an exam in front of me, I'd do all right at it. You know, if you put coursework that you should be able to do in two weeks in front of me, but gave me two years to do it, I'd probably just be like, meh, not interested. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm kind of glad in a way that there's like that pressure and I can, you know, can do all right under, under that pressure, you know. But I love the photo pit thing. It's just, yeah, it's just the most wild scenario. Um, was Arctangent, though, even with all that said, was Arctangent still the most difficult scenario you've been in to get a great picture out of because of the amount of photographers and the short time span? Um, not necessarily. Actually, Arctangent was a beaut to shoot because, like, most of the tents uh, quite open on the side, even though it was horrible weather, standard UK festival vibes. Ob- obs. <laughs> um, it, was, it was still, you know, nicely lit, amazing lighting setups, like, there wasn't an awful lot that could go wrong. However, the first thing that I ever, ever shot, uh, and there was a gallery on noise, was well, a couple, fair, well, fair few years ago now. Are we up to about yeah, three, three or four years ago maybe. About three years ago that I met. Yeah, you. that's it. Um, I shot uh, some grime in uh, in Cardiff. Awesome. Uh, it, if you remember this album, it was bonkers. I know there's been plenty in that time. But it was uh, Manga St. Hilaire. Uh, he used to be part of Roll Deep. And he played in Goody Who, which is this tiny venue in Cardiff. And, I, like, w- no no lie at all. The whole gig was shot basically by Snapchat light. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Like, so this is my, like, my entry banging album, you know, like, as a new new kid on the block or whatever. You know, it's a noise. I was like, I've got to make this banging. Turn up to this show basically lit by phones and I was like great so what do I do here you know like how am I supposed to like you know make art out of light and you know with with basically like phone shots but I managed it somehow I guess it's the pressure thing again um yeah I don't know it's 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 a nut set um and it definitely doesn't look like most most albums that we put out but I kind of love it like because of that you know it's a bit a bit different it's hilarious that Arc Tangent was such shitty weather because I was at Trees literally, what, uh, three weeks before? And it was the most beautiful three days of English summertime, man. <laughs> and, like, with a festival... Got, got lucky. <laughs> man, with a festival in the UK, if you time it bang on and you get the right weather, there's nothing that can stop you having the three greatest days of your entire year. Man, if you mm-hmm. time that festival wrong... I was, I was at Download the month before Trees, and Download was awesome, but holy shit, the weather was vile, man. And, oh. the, 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 and the same Arc Tangent, man. British festivals should just be cancelled off here. Let's have them all in Spain or something, man. Fucking, <laughs> the weather's just impossible, man. Indeed, absolutely. But it kind of added a bit of character to it as well, though. Like the first day, I think the yeah, first day was all right. The, like the Friday was absolutely gross. Like it hammered down uh to like beyond like all day and all night and then like saturday started to pick up and by, by the time we were leaving it was glorious again so we kind of had everything that like the uk has to offer and weather all in one go pretty much <laughs> so it, you know no story ever started with a salad though i guess you know it's like it's one of those kind of just chuck the weather at us chuck everything at us nothing's going to stop like metalheads having a good time you know it's one of those as I expected, mate, time has absolutely flown in. We've gone for nearly 45 minutes already, which is, <laughs> uh, which is wild. I am just going to uh, leave you with what, do you, you know, looking back, your career is still short, man. Like you're in your 
mid to late 20s, same as myself, even though I feel really old saying just that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Short, short, even though you've been doing this for like 10 years, theoretically, really short career because it's only been your actual absolute main income for three years. What are you most proud of as we speak on the 1st of April 2020? Up to this point, what are you most proud of? Oh, you know, I, I'm going to have to say taking the leap because awesome. it's still it's still one of the biggest things I've done and I'm just going to just roll with it and like just make it work for as long as possible. And if I don't ever have a conventional job <laughs> like as, as my main thing ever again, that'll, that'll be the day I'll be, you know, I could die happy. Hey, dude, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. Um, just to get too, a, a real insight into you. I, I, I will see you again at some point this year because we'll do Album of the Year again and you can yes. sit there patiently as you did the, her last year, which I, I'm massively, <laughs> massively thank you for. And the reason why the Album of the Year show looks so great is uh, mainly down to you, Paul and Dan, who did the filming. So thank you very much for that. Dude, no this has been, been a pleasure uh, getting into the mindset of Dean Harry's. Um, where can people find you? Uh, we the D everywhere W-E-T-H-E-D-W-E across all socials and yeah just yeah get involved come say hi (laughs) always at a show all good dude it's been a pleasure man thank you you too dude thanks very much bye bye cheers